Hi, and welcome to another episode of A Shot Glass of Recovery with your host, Julie, half of the dynamic duo that brings you the podcast, Two Sober Chicks. Hello. Oh, my belly is full. I made some beautiful buttermilk mashed potatoes and sautéed spinach with onions and garlic and pork chops done medium to well. I swear I don't know why I'm still single. Well, actually, I do know why I'm still single. Because that's a really important decision for me to make right now. And not a lot of men meet that bar. So, anyways, that leads me into... That is the perfect segue into my next podcast. Breakups and divorces. Or you can put a slash in there. Breakups slash divorces in sobriety. How do you do that? Breakups can be the biggest source of grief upon a person's heart in life. And breakups slash divorces slash separations are no different than grieving death because it is a death. And how do you do that when you're in early sobriety? We are told not to make big decisions in our first year, but sometimes that can't be avoided because that big decision means stepping out of a situation, not that no longer serves you. I don't love that phrase. If it no longer serves you. Well, listen, how many people do you know in relationships where it stopped serving them a long time ago, but they stayed because they made a commitment? Like, that should mean something. I feel like we live in a society now where it's just like, oh, I don't like it and I leave. I don't like this, I throw it out. I don't like this, there's another option. I think our time of convenience presents us with way too many options. Sometimes we have to leave a relationship because it is destructive to who we are or what we want to accomplish in our life. I was separated and divorced at just over two years of sobriety. I have seen both marriages work and thrive in recovery, and I have seen them be demolished and left behind. And obviously, leave that decision up to you. What I would say is never make your decisions in a vacuum. Make sure your family and your friends knows about your relationship, first of all. If you're hiding your relationship or things that are happening in your relationship— that's not good. I have a friend who dated another friend of mine in recovery. And she had she felt like it was not her place to disclose to her friends and family that this boyfriend of several years was in recovery. This relationship happened to go really bad really quickly. And then she found herself incredibly isolated because now she couldn't discuss what was going wrong in her relationship because then she would expose his addiction. And so her and I, as a result, which I'm grateful for, became very close because I was his friend first. So she could turn to me and ask, is this normal in recovery? Is this a normal thing that a person in their addiction does or says, am I doing something wrong? Can I fix this? So yes, I agree with anonymity, but I also believe that as a person in this world, you have a right to discuss your experiences with others, not for gossip purposes, but for help and support and connection and love. So first of all, if you're withholding information, that is not private, intimate information. Excuse me, I'm going to cough for a second. (coughs) 
that lunch was so good it made me cough. Um, If you're withholding that information, that is something to look at. But if you're going to leave a relationship, I encourage you to talk to your people about it. I happened to be well into therapy and a couple of years into recovery, but I had been pretty isolated up until entering recovery. So nobody really knew that I was very unhappy in my marriage, that I was often alone, that my husband at the time led a very toxic lifestyle that in all honesty, I don't think he really knew how to be a husband. And my taking vows with this man to me meant partnership for life and as partners walking through life together. And his version of what a wife would look like was not what I wanted to be. Um, I know some women that are more than fine with saying yes to an extravagant lifestyle where all of their monetary needs are met, and that's a decision women get to make. Is my security more important than a commitment? And that may be a yes, but for me, that's a no. I need someone to be emotionally available to me, and I need a partner walking through life. So my recovery made clear and obvious what the issues were in my relationship. And I fought for my marriage for a long time. And only when I did everything that I could possibly do to save it, only after years of warning my husband at the time that we were in trouble, only after repeated attempts at therapy and interventions and other things turned out to not be something that he was interested in in the long term, did I make that decision to leave? I'm not perfect. I'm sure I'm not the wife he wanted. I broke my marriage vows more than one time in this marriage. I know that he felt monitored and mothered and judged by me in the end. So I own all of my responsibility in that marriage. And there's much of it. I also don't regret my marriage at all. It's one of the best things that ever happened to me. I feel so lucky that I was able to be a wife and a stepmom and build a really great life and have experiences and feel that kind of love. And I think forever I will be grieved by my divorce. Um, I love him. I cannot say I miss him or I would be interested in having an active relationship with him in my life right now because there are times when you have to move on and you have to respect what's appropriate. But I will always grieve it because it's a broken, to me, covenant. It's a broken vow, and I can never repair the damage that it did, the ripple effect of damage it did, both to us personally and our families and friends. So by the time that became clear that my marriage was over, I had sponsors and people in the program that could walk alongside me. My therapist supported me. Um, My family took a while to get on board because I didn't discuss things with them. They thought I was insane because for all outward appearances, we seemed to have a great relationship, which in many ways we did. We always respected each other. But nobody knew of the inner darkness and the loneliness and what ultimately I knew would be my undoing if I stayed in that marriage. So the grief was monumental 
The reason I'm doing this podcast is because I want to offer some things that I found really helpful. First of all, going to more meetings was much more helpful to me, especially when I moved out and we were living apart um, when our separation started. So knowing that every single day I could go to a meeting was a godsend. And here in Toronto, we have over 400 meetings a week. That range from 6 in the morning till noon or 1 o'clock to 8 or 9, 7, 8 or 9 at night. So I could always go somewhere where I was safe and talk to people that had been through what I had been through or could support me where I was going. I had my relationship with my therapist. I took up ballroom dancing and I did that before... How long? Oh, I took up ballroom dancing... um, about a year into my sobriety. And it was specifically because I was in an accident, lost the use of my left leg, had to learn how to walk again. That's a whole other story. And I had always wanted to to ballroom dance since I was a little girl and I saw Cinderella. And in my sobriety, I had to get hobbies and things that I could focus on so that I wasn't focused on not being able to drink and ballroom dancing was one of them. However, that is one of the things that saved my ass during my separation. Because as I've said in my last two podcasts, getting in touch with your body and being in your body and moving your body is really healing. And the ability to go somewhere twice a week and move my body and have it in motion. And additionally, to be taught how to follow and be submissive to the leader, to my male instructors, which was super difficult for me. But learning to let go, let someone else take control, to sink into the music, to focus not on my feelings, but on how my leg is moving in conjunction with my arm, to have body awareness, to listen to music I loved, to have fun, saved me. I still cry when I go in for ballroom lessons every once in a while because I tell people that story. That's why I started and how much it meant to me. Working out twice a week with my trainer, who is also my friend, who consequently will be on this podcast in the next week giving us five exercises we can do from home that are super easy. Her name is Stacy DeHart. Training with her, same thing, focusing on muscles, focusing on body movements. Um, Also, as most of us do, our therapists and our hairdressers become our therapists. Uh, Sorry, our trainers and our therapists and those people in our lives become like mini therapists to us. So, oh, I just lost my train of thought. There was another thing about working out I wanted to say. Um, Stronger. When our bodies feel stronger, we feel stronger. It's we often hear the mind goes, the mind follows where the body goes. It's why getting your ass to a meeting, you may not want to go there, but once you're there, your mind kind of clicks in like, oh, here we are, and this is what we're doing now. So ballroom dancing and working out was very important for me to process my grief. We shared a dog at the time. He is no longer alive. R.I.P. Bax, my beautiful black Doberman. I miss him so much. I still have grief over him too. I cry every once in a while over that. Um, We had joint custody of Bax, so I would pick Bax up. And sometimes he was the only reason I got out of bed because his little wet nose was pressed against mine in the mornings to go eat or to go walk. God, he was such a delight. Oh, I even feel myself getting upset about it now. I just loved him so much. 
He was my best friend for a long time. So having the animal forced me to get out and get up. But sometimes I would just lie on my side and be racked with grief and tears. And a lot of us, when we cry, tend not to make noise because it's hard to hear ourselves because we don't want anyone else to hear us because we feel shame or embarrassment when we make noise and we cry. But I recommend like crying it out bury your face in a pillow let yourself scream into your hands just do it 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 needs to have a voice our tears need a voice journaling is really important I just found some of my journals today which is probably what sparked all of this from 2002 it was the first year my husband and I were together I was I never know what to say like my ex-husband but then I'm talking about the times when he was my husband. So I'm talking like in that time. Anyways, uh, from 2002 and um it was difficult. It now he wrote in my journal about the things that hurt him <laughs> that I was expressing in my own damn journal. It was a sweet note, a weirdly sweet note. He was a weird guy. Um, so it was a whole mixture of things, but I was able to also throw that out. Now, my divorce, like I said, I will grieve it for the rest of my life, but it took me years. We've been apart, I think it's going on eight or nine years now. For sure it's eight, but I don't know if it's closer to nine. And it took me a solid five years to really get out of it. I had no business dating in that time, which I did. It took me a solid five years to get over that. Um, Six years to the point where I could start throwing things out, pictures, letters, notes, things he bought me. But it took a long time. And I was really hard on myself because I'm like, one year, yeah, that that makes about sense. Two years, okay, fine. And then I heard half as much time as you were together. We were together for 10 years. But I really had a hard time with it. And my, my therapist assured me, listen, you're doing all of the work. You're doing everything right. You're, you're acting and behaving and thinking and feeling in all the right ways. Grief is not something you can predict. Sometimes it's like still, still waters. And it's a beautiful glass top crystal still ocean. And then summertimes it's not. And the waves come in and they drag you from the shore out into the depths and you get sucked in the undertow. And when it feels like it, it'll spit you right back up on the beach again. And you're like, what the hell was that? And that's how grief goes. I think if you treat a breakup or a, or a divorce or a separation as a death, you may find that you cope with it a lot better because we accept death as a really good reason to grieve. But often we don't see a divorce or a separation or a breakup that same way. And it is a death. It's a death of hopes and dreams. It's a death of a a love and a bond with somebody. It's death of family and friendships. It's death with an ideal. Depending on what circle you run in, you can receive a lot of judgment and anger and shame from other people over it. But what I encourage you to do if you want to make that decision is... Please don't make the decision alone. Seek help professionally and personally and through recovery. Know that the steps are an ingenious way to go through a breakup. At the When your breakup or your separation starts, I mean, you're in a step one. You're powerless over this situation. Your life has become unmanageable. 
Then in step two, you find your higher power and know that your higher power can restore you. Body, mind, soul, spirit. And then step three, you let God come in and start to do the inner work with you in order to get through it. Step four is great. Doing an inventory on your on your relationship, the harms, the fears, the resentments, and sometimes the sex conduct. Then six, seeing it was what it seeing it for what it was, seeing your part, seeing what's not going to help you get through it. Step seven, again, asking God to help and come in and help you make things right. Step eight, maybe you have to make an amend to the person. Step nine, you do, unless it would cause further harm. Step 10, keep on it. Keep chipping away at it. Keep examining it for as long as you need to. Step 11, keep through prayer and meditation in contact with God to find out how you go forward. And 12, practice the principles of the steps and also be in service. Just always be in service. Oh, that's another great thing that helped me get through my um, divorce was being in service to other people. And it doesn't necessarily have to mean AA. It means that you have someone in your life that purely for their purpose, you are doing someone to help them and doing something for someone to help them in that way. And we should all and I am going to say should, damn it. We should all have a running comfort list. Things you love to do that bring you peace or joy or help you get out of your mind and your head and into your heart. And reference that list. Because there's going to be a hole in your life that's left by that other person, don't fill it with other people, please. That is not fair to the person you fill it with, and it will only delay your growth. Fill that hole or that void with something that brings you peace and comfort, maybe dedicate more time to God or your spirituality, put something good in it, put something life-giving in it, because you need a rest after something like this happens. You need rest during when it happens. I'm sorry if this is happening to you. I know it's so difficult and it's so tough and grief is not easy. But I promise you there are so many good things that want to come out of it. So many things can rise out of it. But sometimes you just got to be in the shit for a while before it gets better. And sometimes it's going to be a long time. But know as all things do that you will come through it. That it shifts. That it changes. And the nature of life is that if you become water and not rock things tend to get better as you get older. Wise wisdom from this almost 43-year-old woman. Thank you for being with me today. I always love being with you. I love that right now I'm in all kinds of different countries all over the world with you. I think that's just the coolest thing ever. That's it. Talk to you later. Bye.